Welcome to Hidden Tracks with Robin LaRose, the little heard stories behind the music, the artists, and their work. Hi, it's Robin LaRose, and uh, welcome back to Hidden Tracks, the Halloween edition with special guest this week, Alice Cooper. And uh, before we get into it, uh, please subscribe to the podcast, leave your comments and thoughts uh, you know, about what we're doing here every week. There are 12 episodes so far in this first series for 2019, uh, backing up to the summer episodes that uh, featured the co-founders of Woodstock, on this uh, 50th anniversary year for Woodstock. Plus, uh, we've had Roger Waters of Pink Floyd on the podcast. Most recently, the uh, legendary singer for Led Zeppelin. Very successful solo career as well. Robert Plant, who has uh, a new Digging Deep box set coming in December. So uh, please have a listen to those podcasts when you get a chance and uh, give me your thoughts. And uh, that leads us to this week's guest, Alice Cooper. Real name is Vincent Fernier. He was uh, born and bred in Detroit, grew up there, moved uh, eventually to Phoenix, Arizona, where he still resides to uh, this day. And speaking of, uh, speaking of day, he's a scratch golfer by day, also author, family man, radio announcer. By night, he's uh, what I like to call the original Prince of Darkness. No offense to Ozzy. He likes to call himself the godfather of shock rock, who saw the light, or dark actually, way back in the late 60s when he started to bring in horror to his stage shows, uh, sort of helping shape the sound and look of heavy metal music. On stage during his live performances, uh, you see ghouls, guillotines, gallows, electric chairs, fake blood spewing forth, snakes, baby dolls, and the tightest group of musicians you've had the pleasure to watch. He's currently on tour now for the rest of the year and already planning and scheduling dates for his old Black Eyes tour for 2020. He was in a great mood for this conversation, ready to talk golf, ghouls on Halloween, and what it's like to be Alice Cooper. Hey, Robin. Hi, Alice. How are you? Good. How are you? Excellent. Great to speak with you again. Thank you. And, and thank you for doing this. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, sure. No problem. How's uh, how's your day? How's October been treating you? Uh, so far, so good. Do, do, do you yeah. still get a lot of golf in while you're uh, having downtime? I play every day. Every day? Every single day. Come on, you never take a day off. Never take a day off. Ever. Is your Sunday handicap... Morning, uh, Sunday morning I take off because I usually have church on Sunday morning, but, yeah. you know, uh, afternoon sometimes... If it's not 120 degrees. <laughs> <no. laughs> Is your handicap still hovering around, too? Uh, yeah, right around there. Cool. Yeah. Hey. I shot, uh, shot one under yesterday. Wow. And uh, uh, I think I shot even today. What's the best round you've ever played? 67. That's pretty good. Yeah, 67. That- uh, I've, had, I've had probably, I'd say, 15 rounds under 70. That's excellent. Yeah. Have you ever had any holes in one? Four. Four hole-in-ones and two double eagles. Best course you've ever played? Um, well, you know, that, that's a tough one because that's all a matter of, uh, that's one of those things where you have to kind of like, it's like picking your favorite child, you know. <laughs> I, if I were going to play one the rest of my life, it would probably be uh, Muirfield in Columbus, Ohio, or Pine Valley, uh, either one of those would be awfully good, you know. But I mean, I like Shaughnessy up there. Yes, and um, yeah, you have some great ones up there in uh, in Vancouver. So, if you had to make a choice, 
Uh, of course, after you outlast Mick Jagger's run on stage, would it be yeah. golf? <laughs> would it be golf or Alice Cooper, the oh, legend? Yeah, I, no, golf is just a, it's just a game to me. Just a game. You know, it's it's something that I do like. Uh, it, it's sort of a, a sport. I've always been involved in sports when I was a kid. You know, I mean that was something I was. And golf just happened to come along, and, I, and I'm addicted to it. I understand that. But I mean, it's nothing like being on stage. Yeah. You, you ever know, want- when you actually write it? When you write an album. And then you, you know, you record the album, and then you go out on tour with the album, and those songs are a part of you. Yeah, it's, there's no comparison between that and, and golf, you yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. You ever wanted to tee off on stage and drive a ball into the back bleachers? Yeah. You know what the funny thing is, is Alice, the character, Alice hates golf. Whereas, like, you know, myself, I love golf, but Alice and I don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Right. You know, he's like, you know, he he kills, uh, he's he's all into, you know, well, what's the guillotine look like tonight? What's the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you put golf clubs on Alice's stage, he would think they were weapons. <laughs> you know? uh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. How, how do you balance that and keep the passion up and also balance that with your family and your friends? And uh... Well, I've been doing this for 45 years. I mean, you know, and my family, I mean, if you think about it, my, my kids were born backstage. Yeah. My wife was the was the original uh, uh, ballerina in the, in the show. She was the original nurse. Yeah. She played about six or seven of the different characters for 10 years in the show. And then our daughter Calico took over for 12 years. So our daughter Calico is now an actress in Hollywood, you know, and she's with the uh, the Groundlings um, Improv Group. Uh, she's, I mean, she's she could do double work for Kristen Wiig. She looks just like Kristen Wiig. Cool. And in fact, Kristen's one of her teachers. Really. And uh, and so I mean, you know, the family's always been in the show. There was a period of time when I had all three girls in the show. I had my wife and my two daughters, both all three in the show, because they're all dancers. And they're all, you know, actors. So it was it was a lot of fun for me because I'd, I'd look around and, you know, I had I had all my girls up there. They played Chinese assassins in one part. Chinese assassins. Right. On Halo of Flies, they were like three Chinese assassins. You know, sort of the Bond girls, you know. <laughs> so you, you go to them and say, hey, would you like to be a Chinese assassin? And they go... Well, one night I'll say, you two are Chinese assassins tonight. Tonight you're playing the nurse... And Sonardo will say, uh, "Oh no, I played the nurse last night. Let me play the um, let me play the executioner tonight." <laughs> and uh, I got a good idea for that. So I mean, these, these these girls are really good at it. And and like you said, when they were five years old, they they knew how to do the guillotine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Hey, I know you're. Were you in South Dakota the other day? Is this true? Yeah, I was just there the other day. They were opening a friend of mine, Chuck Brennan, was opening a teen center there. Very much like the teen center that we have in Phoenix that we just opened, uh, The Rock. Right. And what it is, it's, uh, it's, it's really to get kids off the street, uh, to get kids, um, instead of uh, in gangs. I said, it's just as easy to be in a band as it is in a gang. You know, yeah. I mean, why don't you put your 9mm down and I'll give you a Fender guitar. Exactly. You know, and, and so you're, you're trying, to, trying to push them in a different direction. You know, it's so easy for kids to get wrapped up in, you know, in the whole gangster lifestyle, you know, and really there's only one way out there. You're either going to go to jail or you're going to be dead. Exactly. So I said, why not learn to play drums, bass, guitar, put a band together? I, you know, I said, uh, very rarely do, 
you know, the bands end up in jail or dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a few I would like to see in jail or dead. I'm a boy. to you. High five, Alice, on this. Uh, this is very, very cool of you to do. And I know you've been doing it for years and years and years. 14 years. Yeah. yeah, we've been doing it for about 14 years. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, I mean, I like to think that there's uh, kids out there now that that have got different vocations rather than being dead. Yeah, you know? exactly. And yeah, not a great vocation being dead. Hey, I know uh, School is Out celebrated its anniversary this past summer. Again, a high five on you for that. That's pretty, right, pretty incredible, huh? Well, you know, you get one of those songs. You know, I think every band gets one song that they are, are going to be associated with forever. You know, the Stones, Satisfaction. When I think of the Stones, I think Satisfaction. That's their song. Yeah. Uh, the Who, My Generation. You know, Alice Cooper will always be schools out. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter if you write a better song or... It's just that song is associated with you forever. And that's great. I don't mind having that. That's Every time a kid turns 15 and, and it's summer vacation... That's his song. It's funny because it, it, that that song will not die. Yeah, it, it's sort of like uh, uh, when my kids all went through elementary school, high school, college. On the last day of school, that song came up over the loudspeaker. Wow. You know, and, and every kid I talk to says, oh, yeah, man, last day of school, my teacher always plays that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, I, it became the national anthem, you know. <laughs> and so it should be. There's another anthem that gets played on radio and is synonymous with Halloween, and that's Welcome to My Nightmare. Welcome to my nightmare. I think you're gonna like it. Do you remember your first Halloween as a kid? Uh, I was, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Detroit. Yeah. All right, so if you didn't have two shopping bags full of candy, <laughs> then you weren't even trying. <laughs> you know, the whole thing was about the candy. And then what you would do is you'd come home and you would give the candy to your mom because they doled it out, remember? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah I'll give you these two pieces. But you'd stash the other bag, you know, <laughs> even though your mom th- thought that she had it all. You, you had it. And uh, for, I, I can remember from first grade till, you know, till I left there when I was 10, 11 years old, I was Zorro every year. Zorro? I was Zorro. There was a certain amount of Zorro in me. I can't, <laughs> and in Alice, uh, I noticed, you know, there's a sword and the, the black and the swashbuckling thing. There's a lot of Zorro in Alice. <laughs> I and a little bit uh, in uh, your alter ego as well by day. Yeah, that's what I, it's, it's like you know when I see Alice on stage, I all black, you know, and he's got actually the sword I use on stage is Errol Flynn's sword, the uh, the actual sword that he used in Captain Blood. Wow! And the Adventures of Don Juan, um, that the the dueling sword he has is the one I use. That's impressive. Yeah, that's cool. Very impressive. Um. What's most inspiring for you? Well, I mean, you know, inspiring in music, I wish that more bands, young bands, were not so wimpy. It just seems like all the young bands are afraid to be rock stars. You know, I look at these bands and I go, 
Okay, here's the hottest new band. There's five guys. They're wearing corduroys and golf shirts, and they have short hair, and they look like every kid in the mall, and they have an accordion in the band. <laughs> That's not rock. <laughs> I want the new. I want the new Guns N' Roses. I want the new Aerosmith. I want the new Foo Fighters. You know, that's what what rock and roll is. Is is kids playing music with attitude, not with just like, you know. I just hate to think of it as being so dull. Rock needs to be rock. Ah, we last had you in studio with Bob Ezra in here last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just saw Bob. He's been working with you, hasn't he? Well, since the since 1970. I mean, he did uh, Love It to Death, Killer, uh, Billion Dollar Baby, School's Out, Welcome to My Nightmare. I mean, all the all the big albums it was Bob Ezra. And he was, he was our George Martin. That's right. We just did the last two albums together, um, uh, Welcome to My Nightmare, yes. which is part two, and then... We're working on the covers album right now. How, how, which is like sort of a tribute to all my dead drunk friends. <laughs> how is that coming along? Do, do you have a song artist list finalized? Well, um, you know, I mean, I can't tell you what songs they are, but I can tell you Terry Nielsen, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Small Faces. Um, you know, it's it's all like all the guys I used to get drunk with and uh, all the guys that, that passed away. So we picked a song from each one of those guys. We had a drinking club called the Hollywood Vampires. Right. And it was literally guys that we got every night. You know, we drank until last man standing. And uh, basically, there's only three of us left, and that's Bernie Top and Mickey Dolenz and me. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's only right to do a tribute to them. And at the same time, on stage, we do four songs for them. And uh, uh, Alice is like in the, wakes up in the middle of a graveyard, and it's the Hollywood Vampire Graveyard. One of those songs is Come Together, because John Lennon was part of that drinking group, too. It's a nice tip of the uh, top hat to those guys in the club. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, I mean, it, it, it has validity because they really are guys that I drank with. So there was a personal relationship with each one of those guys. So would it be would it be safe to say uh, maybe one night you were out with the vampires and it got crazy and went sideways and uh, the perhaps maybe one and only person you could rely on would be Shep Gordon? Shep, um... Was not a vampire. No. He was, he was a loner. No, he was, you know, when we went out, it was basically, the club was basically guys that were on tour, that had toured, and we all had, a, you know, a lot in common because we had all played the same venues, we'd all done the same studios, you know, and uh, we just felt comfortable together. You know, if you, if you were sitting next to a, uh, another lead singer or, or a guitar player or something, you realize that... You, Every single thing that's ever happened to you has happened to him. And then there, you know, if you started, somebody started telling stories about what happened to them on the road, you had just as many good stories. <laughs>
I mean, it was a bit of, it was a, bit of a, a, a great fraternity. Yeah, I bet it was. I meant in the sense that if you ever needed help and you need to call somebody in the middle of the night, you could probably call Shep, right? Oh, well, yeah, Shep. You know, trust me, Shep knew where I was every minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've been together 43 years now, Shep and I have. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know... We're inseparable. <laughs> For those that don't know, Shep Gordon's your manager. How, when, where did you first meet him? Well, that's the interesting thing. We were a starving band in Los Angeles, and we had finally come to the very lowest point where we had been turned down by every single radio record company. And because we were just too weird for them, you know, they wanted the next Crosby, Stills and Nash, and they were getting us. <laughs> and so we were living in Watts. California. Wow. In the basement of the Chambers Brothers house. <laughs> during the riots. Oh my god. So I mean we couldn't even put our heads up, you know, to look outside. There's a tank on the front door. <laughs> and the only guy that was the common denominator was Jimi Hendrix. Jimmy were was good friends with you know, the Chambers Brothers, and he was also good friends with Chef Gordon, who was this young guy that lived in LA and you know, sort of a young, fast-talking New York guy. Finally, Jimmy said to, to Shep, he says, you know, you should be a manager. And he says, I know a band that really needs ma a manager right now. And he says, well, what kind of music? And he says, no, nah. he says, they're really out there. <laughs> you know, so he brought us over there to meet Shep. And the very next day, Shep became our manager. And the very next day, Frank Zappa decided he was going to put us on his label. <laughs> so everything happened in two days. Wow. You know, I mean, years and years of waiting and playing and trying to get that break, and then in two days, everything happened. <laughs> we were being recorded by Zappa now. Shep was our manager. Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and the Doors and those guys were were friends of ours. Yeah. You know, and they were kind of our, uh, helped us out. I mean, they they saw the fact that we had something that was different, and they they kind of really pushed us more than they would push anybody else. He's a guy that's, uh, besides yourself, launched the careers of Blondie and Ann Murray and, God, even Raquel Welch. Oh, I mean, and, uh, tons of guys. And, and, Groucho Marx. Yeah. Uh, Raquel Welch. Um, I mean, he, he also managed, you know, some really interesting people. I mean, I got to know Groucho as, as a best friend. And Alice Cooper and Groucho Marx sitting and watching TV together. <laughs> It, it, that's a movie right there. <laughs> so Mike Myers directs this movie, Superman, Legend of Shep Gordon. It was so great for it to not be about me. Cool. It was the first time the Shep was always in the background. Yeah. You know, uh, pulling the strings for everything. And this time it was sort of like he was the focal point. And I'm sitting there going, okay, Shep, uh, i got three interviews for you today, and then we got a photo session, <laughs> and uh, you're not going to have time to have lunch because uh, we got this and this. I became the manager. He became the artist. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you learn about Shep that you never knew from that film? Well, there were, you know, there were things about Shep that, I mean, his involvement with the, uh, the Dalai Lama, you uh -huh. know, there was a spiritual side to Shep that I was not aware of. You know, I come from a very Christian background. Yeah. Shep is a Buddhist Jew, a Boo Jew, <laughs> you know, and if you were to put that down on paper, you would say these two guys will never be able to get along with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, we're the best of friends, and, and 
we could not. I trust him with my life. He trusts me with his life. And, and, and yet we have no connection other than the fact that we're both in this together. We started together. And I, uh, like I said, uh, we don't have a contract with each other. Oh, that's yeah. inc- incredible. Absolutely incredible. Your band is so freaking tight. It's just amazing. That's the great thing about it. And to me, that is, that is the, the part that is just so great. Yeah, they're hand-picked guys. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody in that band is a master at what he does. And they're all best of friends. They're, I have never heard an argument backstage. Wow. I have never heard anybody yell at anybody for anything. And all I ever hear is laughing. And then you get on stage, and these guys just nail it every single night, you know. And, uh, I mean, even on nights off, you know, when you're kind of thinking, well, I'm going to get out by myself and go have a steak, that's impossible. (laughs) You know, it's sort of like being in a family where there's no such thing as going out by yourself. (laughs) You know, know, you're going to go to a movie. If I say, I'm going to go to the movie tonight, well, that means me and 12 people. Yeah. You know, and since I'm dad, it's like I take everybody to the movies and then I take them to dinner in the movies. And it's, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, you can't separate these people. Yeah, that's so awesome. Absolutely so awesome. Yeah, it really is fun. I've been with bands that go out on tour. It's so weird. And they say, I never even see anybody in the band until we get on stage. Yeah. And I, I said, really? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, I said, this band is inseparable. And these guys say, no, they don't, we don't even talk to each other until we get on stage. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't get that either. And, you know, with you guys, um, it just shows. It shows when you're on stage. It's so tight and you have fun. It's an incredible, uh, cohesive unit. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I mean, that, of course... You know, when before every tour, Bob Ezrin comes in, mm-hmm. and we go through the rehearsal, and he, he just absolutely uh, goes through it with a fine-tooth comb. And that's why when we go on stage, it's tight, because, I mean, Ezrin is directing it. I did so not... He's more than a producer. He's, he's also, you know, really cares about the live versions of the songs, too. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he's a... Sort of, our, and then he, he puts it in the hands of Tommy, you know, mm-hmm. Tommy Hendrickson, who is now the sort of the right hand man uh, after you know when when he's not there, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, that's what keeps it tight. If you're coming to this show, be prepared to be absolutely uh, exhausted <laughs> because our whole idea is to exhaust the audience. <laughs> Risen from the dead. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Alice Cooper, always, always a pleasure. Thanks a lot, man. Alice Cooper on the Hidden Tracks podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. He's a really nice guy. Coming up next week on episode 13, special guests, Lindsey Buckingham, ex of Fleetwood Mac, and drummer Mick Fleetwood. See you then. You've been listening to the Hidden Tracks podcast with Robin LaRose. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcasts.